you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Um, First order of business, I'd like to welcome my wife back to the neighborhood. On behalf of the whole family, thank you for all those who have prayed and sent cards and um, really encouraged and stood with us during this time. It's been really a blessing. We're grateful to be a part of church that cares for us. Um, Sam's mom is making steady progress, lots of challenges. I won't go into details, but we appreciate your continued prayers for, for Vivian and uh, Sam's dad, Norman. All right? Let me, um, I want to start by uh, bringing you to our passage today, uh, Ephesians 3, chapter 20 and 21. You'll recognize them. It's a very popular benediction. But before we go into that, it's, you remember the scripture, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine, according to his power at work with us. So we're going to study that passage of scripture for a little bit this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray the verses right before that, starting with verse 14. So if you look at Ephesians 3, starting with 14, let me read that and then we'll pause and we'll make that our prayer uh, as we go into God's word. It says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established, that means grounded in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp, that means the strength of comprehension, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen? Isn't that a powerful couple sentences? Let's take a minute now and just, I'm going to pray this prayer over us as a church. And I want you to pray that prayer for your own life. There's parts of it that just resonate with life. And I'm sure it's, it's right where God has you. So let's, let's pray these lines together. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning. Heavenly Father, we kneel before you. In our hearts, for sure, maybe even in our bodies, Because we know that you are the one that every family, whether in heaven and earth, derives its name. Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you might strengthen us with your power through your spirit into our inner being, our insides, God. Come and move in us. Let Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, Lord. Come and make your home there. Come and clean out every room from the kitchen to the living room to the bedrooms and the ugly closets and the basements and the attics. God, come and dwell in the house of our hearts. Lord, let us be rooted, established, grounded in love. God, give us power. 
just like you do with all of your holy people, to grasp, to understand, to somehow glimpse or comprehend how wide and long and high and deep, how vast is the love of Christ. Lord, let us know this love, even though it surpasses knowledge. God, we want to know it in a place that goes beyond our mind's understanding. We want to experience it. We want to be a part of this love so that we might be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Lord, this is all by grace, not our own strength, but it's our plea, it's our cry to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it amazing to be baptized like that in the love of God? I don't know about you, but when you read the scriptures, if it's like when they say these things, I pray that you would know the height and length and depth and width of the love of God. It's it can sometimes just go through our mind, you know, the, the, the process, the logistics of reading. We sometimes can miss it, but there's a baptism in those verses of the love of God and, and the cry of this man, Paul, that we would know the love of God, that we would be experiencing it day in and day out of our lives, that it might fill us and it might overflow from us, that somehow this unknowable God might feel like a best friend to us. Because we've been baptized, we've been saturated, we've experienced his love. That's the heart of God for you. I love that verse in 17 where it says that Christ may dwell in our hearts. The dwelling of God, this idea of dwelling in in John chapter 15, it talks about abide, is it 15 or 10? 15. Abiding in Christ, that, that we would stay and remain and there would be this place that God would set up camp his house, his tabernacle, and it would be right in our own hearts that we might, as the psalmist said, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. That Christ would dwell in that place. Some of you, as you were praying that with me, maybe you've never prayed that before. You might have got born again during that prayer where you said, yes, Lord, dwell in my heart. Because it's almost as simple as that. The only next part is you just got to follow and obey him. But that's the starting place. So these scriptures, this great couple verses we're going to look at today, it begins in this flooding of the love of God. Oh, I pray that you would know how much God loves you. And that there's this idea that our, our lives would be built around the camping out, the dwelling of the Lord. No matter where you are today, you come back to this place where the Lord dwells. He abides. So what is the scripture we're looking at today? Verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, maybe you've never heard a sermon on that. Maybe maybe the only time you've heard that is when the preacher at the very end of the thing, the service is now, he does a benediction. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, the old version said, more than we could ask or think, according to his riches. And you're blessed as you go. I want us to slow down and just meditate on this a bit today. 
I'm going to give you the points right off the bat because sometimes in all my wandering thoughts, the points are lost. Number one, God is able. Yeah? Say it with me. God is able. Like when we address this, now to him who is, he's able. That won't be hard to explain. I'll break that down with a couple of verses. You'll see it. You're like, whoa, he is able. He can do stuff. Number two, God has more for you than you've been asking or thinking about. What? Yes, more than you can even imagine. Now understand the imagine thinking. Some versions translate that thinking, some imagine. But the idea is that God is actively doing more than you're asking for and more than you're thinking about. Some of you should be terrified. Some of you are like, oh, I'm really blessed. Oh, God, do it, do it, do it. Until he begins to do it, and then you're like, what? He just upset my little apple cart. God, you don't have permission to do that. Well, he feels like he does. He, you know, you call them Lord, you call them Savior. He's like, okay then. Allow me to tip over your little apple cart and rearrange the fruit in your life. He may even produce some fruit that lasts. The number three thing is this. God's power is at work in you. What? God's power is right now at work in you. Now that may just seem really obvious or maybe very kind of churchy or religious, but there is a profound truth in this that even now at this very moment in my preaching and as soon as you leave in your eating and in your sleeping and all that you're doing, God is actively at work in your life. Oh, we forget this sometimes. We feel like somehow it's up to us and we feel desperate. We feel tired. We feel like we've got to come up with solutions. But behold, God's already working. Amen. And number four is this. This whole process of the God who is able, of him going beyond our asking and our thinking, the fact that he's already at work in us, this whole thing is framed in worship. And that has very practical implications for us. But the verse says, to him who is able, dot, 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 all the different things, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in every generation. That means our young people, our old people, everyone in between, forevermore, amen. That, that in the grand scope of things, in the grand eschatological, like the beginning and end of all things, there's worship to God. And in the small, break it down to your life, and God's working in you, and God's moving and flipping over things in your life and giving you the victory because he's able, and all of that, that also is framed in worship. So that very basically, when you get up in the morning, the right response to this scripture is, thank you, Lord, good morning, I love you. That when you sit down and eat your food, you're like, Lord, look at this, thank you. We need this food, we're hungry. Thank you. We love you. That when you're frustrated and you can't get what you want, the right response is, thank you, Lord. I know you're at work here. I don't like it. I don't know what's going on, but I know you're with me. Praise you. That there's worship framing all of the processes of God. This is the right response to his word. This is the right response to God's love for you. You know, when we sing these songs and What's with Courtney being out from behind the piano today? Way to go, Courtney. She was like, oh, all over the place, man, going for it. 
Listen, when we sing songs, it's just to have a moment to capture together all the praise that should be going out through the course of our lives. We pick songs that reflect God's love, that have good words. We pick melodies that seem to be engaging. We have musicians who can keep a tune. And what's with Sean Hogan on the guitar today? Where's Sean? I was a little distracted by your little... It was excellent, all of you. And I, I, just, I just, I love the professor up there as he plays. Thanks, Chuck. He's like a studio musician. But all of our life is to be framed in praise. It is the very context for God to come and do great things in your life. And if you want to create that space, that atmosphere, and an invitation, then you create praise, no matter how it feels. Well, there you go. I've just preached my whole sermon. I've got 10 minutes left. Let me just bullet point a couple of these things. God is able. I love the scripture in... Um, in Numbers chapter 11. It's Moses, and he's with the people of Israel, and they're going through the desert, and they're all frustrated. A big group of these, the, the Israelites who have been delivered from Pharaoh's hand and all the plagues and walking through the sea and great victories of God, right? They're having trouble responding in faith, trusting the Lord. That was their struggle. They couldn't trust the Lord. They kept falling back into their own ways, and they started saying, God, you've given us this manna, which in technical terms means, what is it? This stuff to eat, but it was, it was perfect heavenly food. Every day God would provide what they needed. And they didn't, they said, we don't like what you're providing. We want meat like we had back in Egypt. And they start grumbling and they start complaining and they start fussing with Moses and giving him a terrible hard time. We want meat. We want meat. It's like they're chanting. And Moses is like, ah. Oh. And let's pick it up in Numbers chapter 11, verse 22. It says this, but Moses said to the Lord. So Moses is stuck. The Lord's providing, and yet the people aren't happy. They're grumbling. So Moses said to the Lord, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. So you counted the men. You have at least as many women, and then you have all the children. You've got over a million people. And you say, the Lord's saying, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. And Moses says, would they have enough if flocks and herds were completely slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Lord, there's no way you can provide them with what you're saying. First of all, God's not happy because they're, they're not trusting him. Second of all, Moses is frustrated. He's like, Lord, you've given me these frustrated, these frustrating people that are grumbling, and you're making these ridiculous promises. How is that even going to happen? Basically, Moses is saying, I don't think you're able. Wait a second. This is Moses. Yeah. When Moses faced challenges, he had the challenge of believing that God could do it. Even after all Moses had been through, burning bushes, seeing Pharaoh, the plagues, the sea, all of that, Moses is still at a place like, ah, grappling to trust God for something that's beyond his own comprehension. And so they have this wonderful line where the Lord responds in verse 23. And the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Whew. What a great, 
So, so Moses is talking to the Lord, and the Lord is just talking about, so what you're saying to me, Moses, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying that my arm is too short. I can't quite reach. Is that what you're saying? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying, Moses. It's like the creator of all things with little alligator arms. Right? It's like some of you when it comes to picking up the check at the restaurant today at lunchtime. Your arms are too short. And the Lord says, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And he goes on, and sure enough, there's this wind, you read in verse 31, that blows all these quail over the desert. And the quail fall, and the Lord provides meat, more meat than they can eat. It says they all, all the Israelites went out, and they, they, oh, they all came with these giant piles of quail. They had more quail than they could even think of. It says, but when they began to eat the quail meat, it tasted gross in their mouths. It wasn't a question of whether God was able. It was a question of whether they would trust and worship the Lord who was. Sometimes our asks and our demands before the Lord, even when we get them, it's not what we expected. God is able. In your situation, God is able. Your hard heart, your financial crisis, your sick family member, we're finding that true in our lives right now. You guys know, some of you know, it's playing out in our immediate family. Amidst sickness, amidst difficulty, amidst times you just don't know what to do, family that lives far away, we know that God is able. And so we're not going to set the terms. We're not going to make demands. We're going to say, Lord, we're trusting you. You're able. We stand ready to do whatever you tell us to do. We stand ready, but we're trusting you. It's a very different posture to how often we present ourselves to God with our demands for more meat. God is able. Let me bullet point one of the next points. This idea of asking and imagining. I love it. I love it that it says he can do, he's doing more than you could ask or imagine. He's capable of more than you're asking. And I think sometimes we feel like, you know, we're asking the Lord for whatever your rent is, $1,200. And you know what? We know that the Lord's capable of $1,500. He can do more than we're asking. He can do more than we're imagining. As a matter of fact, I can imagine a really big number, a million dollars, $10 million. And we think, well, God's going to do more specifically of what I'm asking for. And you know what? Praise I hope he does. But I think the heart and the meaning of this passage is saying that when you're asking for something, you're asking for $1,200 to pay the rent. God's not, he's not saying, I'm just going to give you more money than that. Well, I, I hope, pray he does. But I think the heart of this passage is that God is going to be doing more things than just paying the rent. So as you move into a place of asking, as you move into a position of even imagining how this might work out, God is saying, yes, and I'm going to do even more than what you're asking for, because more needs to be done. Your asking is too small. I love how C.S. Lewis says that most Christians don't suffer for asking too much, but for too little. They're satisfied playing in their own in the mud when God would have you at a vacation by the sea. There is a faith that asks. 
Even a faith that imagines. I love that song, I Could Only Imagine. Some of you have seen the movie. I heard it was amazing. Many of you saw it together as a church. And I'm not talking about vain imaginations. I think so often our, our minds go to these vain imaginations, like these ima- imaginations of grandeur. I, I, I've, been, I've been going to the gym. I've been trying to work out to slow the decay of my body. And they have this punching bag there. And every once in a while, I walk up, and I feel like I could have been a contender, you know? Right? It's a vain imagination. If I were in a street fight, it would be like two hits, right? Here and hit the ground. It would be over. I have no combat skills. It doesn't matter how many, like, karate movies I've seen. My thought is it's a vain imagination. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I knew I could take him. I, I knew I could take him. But listen, like the song, but like I can only imagine, it's, it's a different type of imagination. He's singing this song, this rhetorical question, like what will it be like when I stand before the Lord? Oh, and he's imagining this holy imagination. Oh, when I'm, when I'm there in the greatness and the beauty and the perfection of the presence of Jesus, what will I do? Will I sing? Will I dance? Will I just... What will it be? Lord, what will it be like? There's a holy imagination to that where your heart soars and your faith connects with the possibilities of the God who is able. And suddenly you begin to dream even the dreams of God. One of the promises of the coming of the Spirit from Joel chapter 2 was that we would dream dreams. And these aren't vain imaginations or illusions of grandeur. These are, oh Lord, let my own heart, and let it soar with the possibilities of the God who is able. Listen, we need more imagination and holy dreams like that at Living Word Church. We need to be more of a culture of asking, not according to our own desires, but according to what God might do. When you get to that place where you're asking and you're imagining and you're dreaming of the things that are on God's heart, Lord, how would you do it? You start saying, how might I serve it? What might I give and sacrifice for your great kingdom purpose? You find yourself laying your own heart on the altar of that great possibility. And this is the place where the God who is able says, now that's the prayer I want to hear. I will do that and I'll raise you ten. These verses are meant to create an atmosphere of faith in our praying, not some some manipulative, selfish praying. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly more than we could think about, more than we could put in words, more than we could even imagine. I find my own heart being stirred right now as we talk about it. If you're afraid to ask. You know why? Because it's a fine line. Between pride and presumption and humble, servant, faith-filled asking of God. And some of you don't know the difference. You think in your asking that you're commanding and demanding God and he's got to do what you want and more. But the whole process of prayer and asking it's to lay before our hearts and lives and bring our faith to God and say, Lord, let's imagine the possibilities 
I think it was D.L. Moody that said, the world is yet to see a person whose heart is fully given over to God, period. I am that man, he said. So God is able. God is able. Questioning how much I should do here. I think we're going to stop here. Because I want us to, I want us to be in a place where we can say, I want my heart to be framed in worship. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. I, I don't think, I don't think some of our efforts bring God glory in the church. I don't know if all of our prayers bring God glory in the church. I think I'm challenged by the notion of anything less than complete surrender and offering ourselves to God, in fact, brings glory in the church. I'm challenged by this notion of from one generation to the next generation. You know, I think even over the last couple of weeks, we've sought to bring plenty of adults and plenty of children up on this stage to testify about the goodness of God. We saw Trinity baptized. We saw these young teenage men testifying about how God's doing a great work in their heart. I think what Donnie shared today was articulate, profound, faith-building, and incredible. There's glory in the church when a young man like that talks about Jesus that way. When our young men are talking about learning how to really serve and lead by example. I think that shames some of us. You've got a teenage guy saying, I want to lead by example. And there's some of us who should be leading by example, thinking, that's a good example to me. To him be glory in the church. I think our prayer doesn't always bring glory in the church. I've been challenged by that. As I read this and studied it this week, I thought, where is our prayer? Are Are we really seeking the Lord in this way? For the first time in a long time, I joined the prayer meeting from 8.30 to 9.30 this morning. You know what? There was glory in the church in that room. When new Christians and veteran Christians and were in there praying and seeking the Lord for you today in this meeting, for people in their homes throughout, for mission into the community. Do our prayers, do, maybe we need to gather more to pray. Maybe more of us need to gather more to pray. I guess I don't doubt that people are praying in their homes. But maybe there's something when more of us come together and really stretch our faith before the Lord. I think there's glory in the church when the church prays. But we all feel so busy, don't we? Another night out. Some of us just feel so self-conscious. I don't think I can pray out loud in front of people. That's a thing, you know. Some folks don't want to, some of you can't shut up when you pray. I, you know, it's good. Just go on and on and on. You're praying for the fishes in the deep blue sea. Good for you. <laughs> but some people just can't get themselves to do it. And, and I, I get that. 
I'm one of the former. I'm, I'm the right, the one who can't shut up. But I see and respect those who are different. But I still think there's a faith-filled atmosphere we create when we gather together and we put words out there that says, Lord, we're trusting you for great things. Do them in our midst. Let's do something about that, can we? We need to figure that out and pray. Gather to pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we end today on those challenges, let's frame it in worship. So I'd like to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to end with one more song. And while we do this, I want to encourage you to revisit some of these things we talked about this morning. Maybe you need to ask the Lord and and offer the Lord again your own. Say, Lord, teach me to pray. That's what the disciples said to Jesus. Teach us to pray, Jesus. And he taught them. Maybe you need to pull down some vain imaginations and replace it with some holy imaginations. Come be baptized in the love of God. Let's stand together. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you because you are the God who is able. Your arm is not too short. God, I pray even for those things that people here are struggling with in their lives, God, we cry out to you that you would come and be mighty and deliver us. Deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen.